This is the DLA Piper UK Employment Law Podcast, the series that looks at the biggest UK employment law issues that HR professionals and in-house counsel are facing right now. This podcast will give you all the insights and expertise you need directly from our employment law team. Welcome everyone to DLA Piper's latest employment law podcast. I'm Gurpreet Dura, a partner in DLA Piper's UK employment team and you get two employment lawyers for the price of one today because I'm delighted to have with me my fellow partner Claire Gregory. Hi Claire. Hi Gopri, great to be speaking with you today. We've certainly got some interesting topics to cover and we're going to touch on some key areas of employment law compliance. So for much of 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic has, of course, forced employees into something of crisis management mode. Everyone's attention has really seemed to be focused on the urgent issues caused by the significant and unforeseen prolonged disruption to business caused by the pandemic. We've seen employers having to deal pretty much overnight with either moving large parts of their workforce Uh, onto some kind of remote working or where they haven't been able to do that, moving them into uh, furlough. We've seen real significant issues about how to deal with ongoing business continuity, dealing with customers and with suppliers. We've seen the difficulties employers have faced with both learning how to access and then to administer the job retention scheme. We've seen employers having to grapple with managing their operating costs and how they right-size their business for what is certainly going to be a prolonged period of uh, disruption. But in real terms, that's not everything that we've seen, is it, Gurpreet? No, no, it isn't, Claire. And I think, you know, people will be forgiven for thinking that, that that's all people uh, in the HR world have been dealing with because the mainstream media narrative in recent weeks and months has has really focused mainly on the end of the furlough scheme and the impact that this will have on unemployment. Uh, And whilst this will be a feature over the coming months and into 2021, you could be forgiven for thinking that making redundancies and helping to take cost out of a business is really all that HR professionals are doing. And we, we know that that isn't the case. And employment regulation didn't stop, of course, with COVID-19. In, in fact, we currently have more employment regulation in the UK than at any time in our history. You know, we've seen important changes introduced this year and there are other important changes in the pipeline too. And this really underscores that employment law compliance is just as important, if not more important now, than it ever has been. You know, compliance... Uh, with employment law, we know it's critical for employers to avoid reputational damage as well as legal and financial liabilities. And we, we know that not many weeks go by nowadays where there isn't a media report about an employer who is alleged to have breached some aspect of employment law or another. So as we head towards the end of 2020, and with more companies coming out of crisis management mode, now really is a good time to take stock and reflect on where they stand with their HR policies and practices and and to assist employers with that. Our employment team has developed an employment law health check survey to really identify areas of non-compliance with employment law. And we'll have more on that later. But first, we just wanted to tease out really what are the hot topics when it comes to employment law compliance currently. And this is really based on 
the recent developments we've seen this year, but also, and more importantly, the day-to-day work that Claire and I have been doing with our employer clients. So first, perhaps we can go back to basics, Claire, with employment contracts, and uh, you can touch on maybe some of the important changes that came into force in April this year. That's right. Thanks, Gepri. Yeah, to coincide with lockdown at probably its its height or at its worst, we saw in April 2020 real important changes made to the particulars of employment which employers need to give to their new starters. And the information has been significantly extended and now needs to be given to both workers and to employees and must generally be given before employment starts. So what this has really meant is that the changes have required employers to audit um, who the information needs to be given to, but also look at and in most cases significantly change the approach in how and when the necessary information is provided. So by way of example then, there's new obligations relating to the provision of information on things like working hours, on benefits, on probationary periods, on what types of training need to be provided, which must now be complied with. And actually much of this information has to be provided for in a single document. We've worked with clients for many years who've asked us to keep their contracts and their terms and conditions as short as possible. People have wanted to link back to handbooks. They've wanted to hyperlink to uh, policies and procedures that they've got on their intranets. And so we've tried to keep terms and conditions often to a really short form document. But these changes have caused everyone to have a real rethink and look again at their contracts of employment. And this doesn't really matter uh, how big or small you are as an employer, whether you're an international or a domestic based employer, and it doesn't matter what sector you're in either. So what we've seen over the summer, particularly when HR and employment legal teams have had a tiny bit of breathing space in which to catch up, lots of clients have been coming to us across the whole range of sectors to start carrying out these types of review. What it's meant is it's provided an ideal opportunity to review and refresh contracts more generally. Really interesting, Claire. And and what about the impact of COVID-19, though? Are there any particular contractual issues that you've seen in your day-to-day work that have arisen due to the pandemic? Yeah, well, that's right. As I say, because it's provided an ideal opportunity to review and refresh contracts generally, What the COVID crisis has done is it's brought into sharp focus whether or not employees have got flexibility in the employment relationship and in particular in their employment contracts. And sadly, for many of them, they've realised that there is this lack of flexibility. So previously, just touching on a couple of examples to bring that to life for you, um, it was fairly uncommon in contracts of employment to include layoff or short time working provisions. And now most employers are asking to consider those as a standard to give them optimum flexibility to respond to significant and sudden decreases in business or unexpected business closure, which is what we saw with uh, the COVID pandemic. And these used to be the types of provisions that we only really saw in manufacturing and heavy industrial client contracts where you might see a temporary cessation in, in manufacturing. But since lockdown and the challenges that that created, all types of clients from all types of sector have become really interested in them. 
Another thing that we've looked at as well when we've been reviewing contracts and talking to clients about flexibility is what can they do for senior employees? Because obviously that is where their greatest spend and their greatest financial exposure is. And lots of employers have been looking at what flexibility they can introduce in relation to things like hours and pay, particularly the ability to reduce pay without necessarily reducing working hours. And when I've talked to clients about this, many of them have been looking at whether or not they can introduce some kind of unilateral right to reduce salary by, say, up to 20%, which is consistent with what we were looking at uh, during furlough, for example, from a pay perspective. So do you think that means employers are really looking to future-proof their contracts, Claire? Yeah, I think that's certainly right. We're looking back to the difficulties that clients encountered, particularly at the start of the pandemic, and we're working with them to see if there are changes we could make that would take away or at least reduce some of the difficulties that they encountered if this were to happen again. So where we can remove uncertainty, where we can give them some extra clarity or some extra flexibility, that's where our clients are seeing the most benefit. So the question really we're asking them is, what would they have liked to have had in their contracts? And we're then taking that away and looking at whether or not we can practically achieve it. And as you know, achieving that for new starters is relatively straightforward. We can update the contracts accordingly. But legal advice is certainly recommended before making changes to existing contracts of employment for existing employees. But I guess connected to that contractual piece and terms and conditions is the HR policies and procedures. And Gurpreet, I don't know whether you've got any views on what employers should be thinking about in that context. Yes, sure. Absolutely right, Claire. I think Contracts obviously go hand in hand with HR policies and procedures. And whilst we've always really recommended that it's good HR practice to review your policies and procedures once a year to ensure that they're legally up to date and that they reflect best practice, I think that's come into even sharper focus now. And I think we've seen that, you know, in light of the seismic changes around how people work and where they work over recent months, it's more important than ever that employers take a fresh, hard look at all of their HR-related policies to check whether what they have is still fit for purpose and reflects the new and different trends we've seen in the world of work brought about by COVID over recent months. So what have you seen then, Gurpreet, over, over the last few months? I guess if maybe I just give a few examples of the types of policy-related questions that I've been advising on recently just to, to give the listeners uh, a flavour. And, and I should caveat that with saying that actually none of these questions are particularly straightforward and, and they will all have uh, some complexity to them and, and the answers may be different for different employers in different circumstances. But the types of things that we've been grappling with have included questions like, look, can we hold disciplinary and grievance investigation meetings and hearings virtually rather than in person, even though our disciplinary and grievance policies don't provide for this? Do we need to review our flexible working policy now? And specifically, how do we deal with the likely surge in requests from employees to permanently work from home? And how do we deal with those requests in an even-handed way, particularly where there are competing requests within the same teams? How do we ensure that company information remains confidential and secure when employees are 
working uh, and attending virtual meetings in a home environment, often in the presence of family members or flatmates? Can we review car or travel allowance benefits and review other policies on business travel and expenses, given that all of that will now look very different to what it was pre-COVID? Do we need to provide employees who are working partly in the office and partly from home with a second set of IT equipment? And the reality is with that, that most employees will be combining office work with home working in a hybrid situation going forward. Do we need to introduce the social distancing policy and what changes do we need to make to our health and safety policy? Uh, and a, another interesting one that I was grappling with yesterday was around what should our policy approach be to paying employees in circumstances where they are isolating at home for COVID-related reasons, but they are not able to work from home. And I think that's particularly acute in sectors such as manufacturing, transport, logistics, hospitality, leisure, these sectors where work from home is not a viable option. And I think it's fair to say, Claire, that in the first few months of the pandemic, many employers took a view to continue to pay employees full sick pay in these circumstances. But it's now clear that these issues will be with us on a medium to long-term basis. And so understandably, many employers will not be able to support paying employees full pay in these circumstances. But that will need to be balanced against the risk that employees may feel financially compelled to come into work when they shouldn't because, for example, one of their householders tested positive for COVID or are displaying COVID symptoms. And if those employees then do come into work, that presents clearly a health and safety risk to the rest of the workforce. But then I think potentially it gets even more complex when we move into the flu season where employees are off work due to symptoms that could be flu or they could be COVID. And do employers now take the approach that they're not going to pay enhanced company sick pay in those circumstances where employees don't come into work, whereas this time in 2019, they would have paid enhanced company sick pay to an employee who was off with flu-like symptoms. So I think there's some really tricky issues there that many employers are having to grapple with. I think that's right, Gurpreet. There's certainly some really significant issues that employers have dealt with so far and are going to have to continue to deal with over the next uh, coming months. But with all of this in mind, I think what you're saying is that employers are going to have to go back really and revisit quite a number of their policies through the COVID lens. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Claire. I think it's taking a long, hard look at those policies. And going back to your point earlier around the contracts, how can we future-proof these policies? Because we should expect and anticipate that some of these changes will be permanent. And therefore, do we want that flexibility in those policies so we don't have to adapt and change policy ad lib going forward? And finally on this, I think communication of any changes to policy is absolutely essential and is also likely to involve some staff training as well, because many line managers in businesses, you know, will be dealing with these issues for the first time as well. And if they're going to be expected to do things differently going forward, then I think there will be an expectation that employers equip them with the tools in order to give them the confidence to do so. I think that's really interesting, Gurpri. I mean, certainly there's lots to consider through the COVID lens, but what about non-COVID factors that are likely to require review as well? So yeah, we mustn't forget about them. Uh, in the family-friendly arena, at least, April saw, for example, 
the new right to statutory parental bereavement leave uh, brought into force. And for many employers, this may have slipped off the radar. And the government has also indicated as far back as July 2019, I think, that it intended to review the current paternity and shared parental leave regime in the UK and also is proposing a new entitlement to neonatal leave and pay. And whilst we haven't seen anything recent in terms of policy around that from government, it's likely to be forthcoming. So employers should be looking out for that and uh, looking then to identify the necessary changes they need to make to their own policies and procedures around all of that. But I think if we uh, change tax lightly, Claire, another really important issue that's come into sharp focus in 2020 across society generally is equality and social justice. And this has been and remains a really difficult and sensitive issue for employers to grapple with. Would you say that's right? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the case. I mean, pre-COVID-19, if we if we think back to a time pre-COVID-19, the issue of discrimination and harassment in the workplace was firmly in the spotlight. I think you could probably say it was the single biggest talking point pre the pandemic. So the Me Too campaign had rightly had significant media attention and more than ever before, it was prompting employers across all sectors to consider how to manage inappropriate and often potentially unlawful behaviour in the workplace, particularly relating to sexual harassment. Employees were having to look back at what had happened in the past, consider their policies and procedures, consider their approach generally to these types of issues. Um, And there was quite a lot of pressure on them to do so. And these are very real and serious issues which now need to rise to the fore again in a business's priorities. But now we're not just talking about sexual harassment or sex discrimination. But over the summer, we've seen real issues associated with race and ethnicity come to the fore. And employers are rightly concerned to manage their legal risk and to consider reputational damage in this area. And what that's meant is that as an employment team, we've seen clients placing much greater reliance Uh, on the involvement of external lawyers, even to lead investigations. And as a team, both you and I and the lawyers who work with us have been involved in um, very sensitive uh, investigations that our clients have asked us to become involved in because they do want to get to the bottom uh, of allegations and try and deal with them in a proper way to mitigate legal risk, but also to mitigate uh, reputational damage. And businesses are now prepared to investigate and take action. It's not an immediate route through to potential settlement agreements and potential exits. Yeah, I think absolutely that's a trend uh, we are seeing in our space, uh, Claire. What about government reform in this area? Are we likely to see any changes there? Well, it is likely that we are going to see some government reform. So again, pre-COVID-19 and the Me Too campaign, there'd been quite sharp focus on the use of uh, non-disclosure agreements. And the issue of regulating those was high on the government's agenda uh, last year. And it made a number of proposals for reform that we may well see take effect in uh, 2021. And that's 
across a range of issues, not just in the employment space, but what will it mean for employers? Well, for employers, it's almost certainly going to mean reviewing confidentiality provisions in both settlement agreements and in contracts of employment. And that's particularly acute for employers in the space of settlement agreements where there might be significant financial payments made. And as part of the settlement agreement, we expect to see a range of confidentiality provisions. So um, the days and the time of using template agreements and not thinking very carefully about the confidentiality provisions that we use really are at an end now. But there are other things as well, actually, on the government's agenda in this space. So they're looking at things like increasing the time limits for bringing discrimination claims in the employment tribunal. They're looking at extending redundancy protection for pregnant women and for new parents. They're looking to extend the laws protecting against third party harassment. And they're also looking to allow non-disabled persons the right to request reasonable adjustments. And these are all quite far reaching, pretty significant new issues that we'll need to look at. And each of them would require employers to take steps to understand and implement new obligations and certainly get their management teams up to a level of awareness of how to handle these types of these types of issue. So in truth, really, Gopreet, there's still there's still certainly lots to come in this area. Yeah, absolutely. Claire, and um, that's a, a very helpful checklist in terms of what's uh, what's in the pipeline. I think there's probably a lot more we could talk about, and maybe we need to do a part two at some point soon. But we, we do need to think about wrapping up now. And I wondered, Claire, if if maybe there were three takeaways that we could leave with the listeners from our experience over the last few months, and and what we've talked about today. Yes, certainly. I mean, I think the key thing for me is the importance of flexibility in your contracts of employment. You know, we really do need to learn the lessons of COVID-19 and how difficult it was for some employers to uh, manoeuvre their workforces uh, based on uh, the situation that they found themselves in, whether working from home, placing people on furlough, and therefore reviewing your contracts and looking at flexibility is an absolute takeaway for me. What then flows from that is what you talked about, which is policies and procedures and not necessarily assuming that you can deviate from your policies and procedures just because uh, we've got a particular issue that's come to light that we hadn't uh, envisaged. So even if you've got that good reason, it's not so easy to deviate from those policies. So again, flexibility is key. And then on the issues that I've just talked about in terms of discrimination and harassment, I think one of the key things that I'd say to people is ensure that your managers are trained and that they're confident about the trends in equality and diversity. It's not enough to train people, you know, in their first week of employment and then find that five, 10, 15 years later, you've never revisited uh, that. You know, this is a huge developing area. Um, and things change very quickly. So you do need to make sure that you've given managers the tools and the confidence to be able to deal with the issues uh, which are coming to light now. That's really 
helpful and and sound advice, uh, Claire. I'd like to add a a fourth takeaway, if I may, uh, which is to invite all listeners to complete DLA Piper's free employment law health check survey. And if you forgive me for for spending a few minutes just plugging uh, this, our free employment law health check survey is something that we've devised as an employment team here at DLA Piper. And really, it's just a, a series of short questions. I I promise it will only take you five minutes in total to answer all of them. It's it's short, simple and user friendly. And each question just requires a simple yes, no or don't know answer. But what it will do is it will help you to identify any compliance red flags in your organisation and generate an overall compliance score for you. And completing the survey will will also enable you to see how you are benchmarking against other organizations. And it really is a a quick, simple and effective tool to help you keep on the right side of employment law. You can go to the employment publications section of our website, dlapiper.com, to find the link to the survey. And we'll also attach a link to the show notes in this podcast. But unfortunately, that's really all we have time for today. So I'd like to finish by thanking Claire for joining me and sharing her insight on the issues uh, that we've uh, discussed. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Gilbert. And also to thank all of you who have taken the time to download and listen to our podcast. Stay safe and uh, bye for now. That was Gurpreet Dura speaking to Claire Gregory from DLA Piper's UK Employment Law Team. Any information in this podcast is for general guidance only and is correct as of the date of recording. This podcast is not intended to be and should not be used as a substitute for taking legal advice in any specific situation. For full terms and conditions, please see our website. Thank you for listening. Please do get in touch to let us know about what issues you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Email us at employmentlaw at dlapiper.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.